Chapter Eleven of Way of the Lawless by Max Brand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Far away in the western sky, Andrew Lanning saw a black dot that moved in wide circles and came across the heavens slowly, and he knew it was a buzzard that scented carrion and was coming up the wind toward that scent. He had seen them many a time before on their gruesome trails and the picture which he carried was not a pleasant one. But now the picture that drifted through his mind was still more horrible. It was a human body lying face down in the sand with the wind ruffling in the hair and the hat rolled a few paces off and the gun close to the outstretched hand. He knew from Uncle Jasper that no matter how far the trail led or how many years it was ridden, the end of the outlaw was always the same, death and the body left to the buzzards, or else, in some barroom, a footfall from behind and a bullet through the back. The flesh of Andy crawled. It was not possible for him to relax in vigilance for a moment, lest danger come upon him when he least expected it, perhaps in some open space like this. He went on until the sun was low in the west and all the sky was rimmed with color. Dusk had come over the hills in a rush, when he saw a house half lost in the shadows. It was a narrow-fronted, two-storied, unpainted, lonely place, without a sign of a porch. Here, where there was no vestige of a town near, and where there was no telephone, the news of the deaths of Bill Dozier and Buck Heath could not have come. Andy accepted the house as a blessing, and went straight toward it. But the days of carelessness were over for Andy, and he would never again approach a house without searching it like a human face. He studied this shack as he came closer. If there were people in the building, they did not choose to show a light. Andy went around to the rear of the house, where there was a low shed beside the corral, half tumbled down. But in the corral were five or six fine horses wild fellows with bright eyes and the long necks of speed. Andy looked upon them wistfully. Not one of them, but was worth the price of three of the Pinto. But as for money, there was not twenty dollars in the pocket of Andy. Stripping the saddle from the Pinto, he put it under the shed and left the Mustang to feed and find water in the small pasture. Then he went with the bridle, that immemorial sign of one who seeks hospitality in the West, toward the house. He was met halfway by a tall, strong man of middle age or more. There was no hat on his head, which was covered with a shock of brown hair much younger than the face beneath it. He beheld Andy without enthusiasm. "'You figure on laying over here for the night, stranger?' he asked. "'That's it,' said Andy. "'I'll tell you how it is,' said the big man, in the tone of one who is willing to argue a point. We ain't got a very big house, you see it, and it's pretty well filled right now. If you was to slope over the hills there, you'd find Gainerville inside of ten miles. Andy explained that he was at the end of a hard ride. Ten more miles would kill the Pinto, he said. But if you don't mind, I'll have a bit of chow and then turn in out there in the shed. That won't crowd you in your sleeping quarters, and it'll be fine for me. The big man opened his mouth to say something more, 
then turned on his heel. I guess we can fix you up, he said. Come on along. At another time, Andy would have lost a hand rather than accept such churlish hospitality, but he was in no position to choose. The pain of hunger was like a voice speaking in him. It was a four-room house. The rooms on the ground floor were the kitchen, where Andy cooked his own supper of bacon and coffee and flapjacks, and the combination living room, dining room, and from the bunk covered with blankets on one side, bedroom. Upstairs, there must have been two more rooms of the same size. Seated about a little kitchen table in the front room, Andy found three men playing an interrupted game of blackjack, which was resumed when the big fellow took his place before his hand. The three gave Andy a look and a grunt, but otherwise they paid no attention to him. And if they had consulted him, he could have asked for no greater favor. Yet he had an odd hunger about seeing them. They were the last men in many a month, perhaps, whom he could permit to see him without fear. He brought his supper into the living room and put his cup of coffee on the floor beside him. While he ate, he watched them. They were, all in all, the least prepossessing group he had ever seen. The man who had brought him in was far from well-favored, but he was handsome compared with the others. Opposite him sat a tall fellow, very erect and stiff in his chair. A candle had recently been lighted, and it stood on the table near this man. It showed a wan face of excessive leanness. His eyes were deep under bony brows, and they, alone of the features, showed any expression as the game progressed, turning now and again to the other faces with glances that burned. He was winning steadily. A red-headed man was on his left, with his back to Andy, but now and again he turned, and Andy saw a heavy jowl and a skin blotched with great rusty freckles. His shoulders overflowed the back of his chair, which creaked whenever he moved. The man who faced the redhead was as light as his companion was ponderous. His voice was gentle, his eyes large and soft, and his profile was exceedingly handsome. But in the full view, Andy saw nothing except a grisly purple scar that twisted down beneath the right eye of the man. It drew down the lower lid of that eye, and it pulled the mouth of the man a bit awry, so that he seemed to be smiling in a smug, half-apologetic manner. In spite of his youth, he was unquestionably the dominant spirit here. Once or twice the others lifted their voices in argument, and a single word from him cut them short. And when he raised his head now and again to look at Andy, it gave the latter a feeling that his secret was read and all his past known. These strange fellows had not asked his name, and neither had they introduced themselves. But from their table talk he gathered that the redhead was named Jeff, the funeral man with the bony face was Larry, the brown-haired one was Joe, and he of the scar and the smile was Henry. It occurred to Andy as odd that such rough boon companions had not shortened that name for convenience. They played with the most intense concentration. As the night deepened and the windows became black slabs, Joe brought another candle and reinforced this light 
by hanging a lantern from the nail on the wall. This illuminated the entire room, but in a partial and dismal manner. The game went on. They were playing for high stakes. Andrew Lanning had never seen so much cash assembled at one time. They had stacks of unmistakable yellow gold before them, actually stacks. The winner was Larry. That skull-faced gentleman was fairly barricaded behind heaps of money. Andy estimated swiftly that there must be well over $2,000 in those stacks. He finished his supper, and having taken the tin cup and plate out into the next room and cleaned them, he had no sooner come back to the door on the verge of bidding them good night than Henry invited him to sit down and take a hand. End of chapter 11